I want to talk to you on the subject of forgiveness. And I think where we ought to start is in 2 Samuel chapter 11. I want to use David's life as a backdrop to the story. 2 Samuel chapter 11. Now David, as the backstory to David's life, you, you all should know David. David means beloved, beloved. That's the word David, David the name. David means beloved. He is the beloved of God. He is beloved by God. He is beloved. God loved David. David was a man after God's heart. David as a young boy is the one that was overlooked by his own father. His father didn't see the potential in his life. I don't think his father didn't love him, but I don't think his father saw the same in David that he saw in Eliab or his other six brothers. David's other brothers were the ones that had the father's affirmation. Even when the prophet visited, we see this in the story that David was omitted from the gathering of the family around the table with the prophet. Was he not qualified? Was he too young? What could be the reason? We see that David develops his understanding of God under the service of, in the field as a shepherd. He looks after his father's sheep. And this is where his concept of God is developed, the service of God and the way that he does it. And he takes his job so seriously that even for a sheep, he would take on a bear and a lion. How many of you for, the, for a sheep would take on a lion or a bear? I was thinking about it last night. When I was younger, you would see somebody's car fail in the old days at a four-way stop you would see the car die and then I would sometimes if, when I was really younger uh, early 20s I would stop my car and help the guy push his car over the four-way stop so that he would get out of the way so that I can go home <laughs> and last night leaving uh, prayer I saw a guy's car fail and I was about the third or fourth guy at the robot and I I wanted to stop but I didn't this is also part of my confession to the church that as a pastor, I sometimes fail. But I, no, I saw other cars stop for him. And I asked myself, is it still the same in our country where we would stop and help one another? It's not. We would rather not get... If you see somebody being beaten next to the road, the general consensus is that you just look the other way and drive past. Very few people would really, really stop, depending on who the person is, depending on what you would class the person in, the level of life you would put him in. Would you stop? Would you not stop? Uh, most of us won't stop. I didn't even stop for the guy that, to push his car out of the way. Somebody else, I think, did stop. It looked like somebody was stopping to try and help him. We don't. Now imagine being in David's position looking after sheep. How many of you would jump in front of the, the lion and say, no, don't take the sheep? And this is where David's character is being developed. He is a man after God's heart, the way he does a thing. And there is no one there. His brothers is with his father. His brothers doesn't see David become the man that God wants him to be. They don't see David wrestle the lion. And when the lion turns against him, as he tells Saul the stories of his young life, he says, when the lion turned against me, I grabbed him by the beard and I struck him until he died. That's a serious thing. And this is the life of David. And then you have David do all these exploits. I mean, he kills, he kills Goliath. He has Saul come after him. He is the man of God. He goes into war and he very seldomly fails. He, is, he does everything perfectly. He is a, a guy that just, he knows what he's doing. 
He does it well. He takes a harp, he begins to play it, and he plays it well. The king is looking in Israel for someone to play harp for him, and David wins the job because he's just that good. Everything he does, he takes a sling, he swings it, he hits the giant between the eyes. How good do you have to be with a sling? That's two different things. I don't know about you, but playing a harp and swinging a sling, how many of you can do that well? This is David. David is the guy that, that gets this promise that from his lineage, the Savior will come. That from his offspring and in the line of David, on the throne of David, Jesus would come. And Jesus would be seated on the throne of David forevermore and never to be taken off of it. This is the promise in David's life. The problem in David's life is that David is very similar to you and I, made of clay. David is made of the dust of the earth. David himself isn't an angel descended from heaven. He is not like Jesus, born of the Holy Spirit. He is just a man that has the heart of God for him and has the Spirit of God moving upon him. He is just a man, but he has just as much soil as you and I. And if you want to say it perfectly, he is soiled soil. He is not just soil without blemish and spot. He is just man like you and I, full of issues, full of problems, and full of desires. And he is now king, and he has been successful for a very long time in his life. He has established himself in Jerusalem, and he is now king over Israel, and, 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 and he is the man of God. The Bible starts in chapter 11 of Samuel. The same story is, is paralleled in 1 Chronicle 20. When we'll get there. And it reads like this. It says, And it happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servant. In the year that the kings go out to battle, David didn't go. He sent Joab. Now, I tried to, to research this a little bit, but it, what it means in the spring of the year, it, it means that there was a time slot that it was the time, there was, a, there was a brief moment in time that is considered the time slot that kings should go out. It implies that there are other times that David could be in the palace and not have the burden of his responsibility. If it was just a time slot in the year that kings go out to war, there is the other seasons of the year that he would be at palace and there is no threat of war and no need for him to be at battle. But David's life is defined by his battles, his physical battles that he had to go through and fight for God's glory and for God's name. And there was a moment in this year that he had to go out and all of the things that he had already amassed in his life, there's just this moment that he had gone out, was supposed to go out. And he had ascended up to a level where he was so comfortable at being David that he could now send someone else to do what he was anointed to do. He is now at a place that he could send someone else to go do what he was called to do. Many people think when they ascend the ladder of leadership that they get to a place where they don't have to do the work, they're only delegated. We think the higher we go up in the hierarchy of things, that we get less responsibility or we get to, because it's, it's the, the owner of a company that goes on holidays. It's never the employees. It's the owner of a company that gets to drive the expensive cars, not the employees. We have the employees make the statement because of their uninformed perspective that I am working to make the boss rich. Take the skill that you have in making the boss rich and make yourself rich. You can do that. 
If that was true, why don't you quit and go make yourself rich? I'm going to let you think about that for a second. And that's the reason why you don't drive the Mercedes. The same reason that you don't quit is the reason why he drives the Mercedes because he did quit. The same reason why he does go on holidays is the reason why you won't quit. He did. So you're not working to make him rich. You're working because you are unwilling to quit and go do it for yourself. And David now has gotten to a place where he doesn't have to go or thinks he doesn't have to go. And he sends Joab in his stead. And Joab now goes off to war and Chronicles exists to highlight the successes of, of Israel and also David's life. It doesn't, it's not there to, to, to highlight the mistakes and the flaws in David's life. And so, so the chronicler doesn't highlight David's missteps with Bathsheba, but it starts like this. In, in chapter 20 of 1 Chronicles, he says, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, Joab, so it's still just, still, it's not the intention to draw us into the story of Bathsheba or to highlight the mistakes of David. So he doesn't want to do that. But at the same time, this mistake is so well known that you can't tell the story without sort of alluding to it. And so he tells us the same story in, in 1 Chronicles 20. He says, Joab led the armed forces. He laid waste to the lands of the Monites, went to Rabbah and besieged it. But David remained in Jerusalem. So it does tell us David remained. There is no way that he doesn't know the story of Bathsheba. David remained in Jerusalem. Joab attacked Rabbah and left it in ruins. And David took the crown. Now, now so he tells us, and it tells us, it, 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 it's expected of David to go out to war, but David doesn't. The devil in your life is looking for that small window of opportunity where you are not where you ought to be. Bored with what you ought to be doing. Purpose of God in your life is not always identified by it being fun. You're not always in the will of God when it's an adventure. You're not always center in the will of God when the things of God seems entertaining. Sometimes you're in the will of God when it's quiet and when you're bored. And at David's being bored, the devil was very present, looking for a gap in David's life. And David's so content with what he's achieved and so relaxed that he had no thrust from the outside physical world of him having to be. Because the war that Joab was fighting on David's behalf was still a victory for David. Joab was still successful. And God, knowing that David was out of position, still gave Joab the the victory in David's name. And the grace of God, although God knows that David is busy checking out Bathsheba, God still gives Joab the victory and Israel is still being blessed while having a king that is in a season of missteps. So don't take the blessing. I, I, this message has been pressing on my heart for the entire week. So, so I'm gonna, I might go into tonight to finish this, I don't need to finish everything in this setting. Uh, but let me tell you right now, I think there's so much in this message. Don't take the fact that your house is still blessed, that God missed your missteps. 
Israel has the benefit of the war being won by Joab while the king is out of place. God's grace is sufficient to sustain you even in your faults. Don't think that God missed what you missed because he's blessing you. What the devil wants to let you think is that the sin you committed is not sin really because you got away with it. And he lets you believe you got away with it because things are still working out for you. I know I'm saying something. And so David was supposed to go out to war and God blesses Joab and Joab is successful. And David is so bored with his calling and he is in a season where not much is happening. He can send someone else in his place and still have the victory. Be careful that you don't get to a place in life where you're so comfortable with being comfortable that you think that you don't need to be where you ought to be. Makes sense. That you're so settled in your career, so settled in your marriage that nothing can de derail your marriage. So settled in your children growing up that nothing can derail your children. So set up in your family structures, your financial structures and the world that you occupy and your per perceived direction of your life. That, that you don't have to move, that you're so comfortable that you can go about it because the, day, the devil is waiting for you to lose focus on what God had called you to. David, at this moment in, in 1 Samuel 11, happened when kings go out to war, that David sent Joab his servants with him to Israel and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabban. But David remained in Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David rose from his bed and walked on the roof of his house, the king's house. From the roof he saw a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Now David, just let us understand here that David, as king of his day, had, had the privilege, I don't, I don't want to call it a privilege, he had the right, maybe, that he could marry multiple wives, have multiple wives. He wasn't just limited to, to one wife, he could have more. He had Abigail, he had Saul's daughter, he had multiple women in his life. And as, as king, and the fact that David was apparently a handsome young man, he wasn't, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't a handsome young man. He was the guy that took out Goliath. He's like the, the first team rugby player. Not really handsome, but handsome. And I was in Israel once. <laughs> I hope to make it twice soon. Maybe not this year. But I stood at the, the city of David and, 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 and now for the first time I understand if you stand at the city of David, you can see the houses. And you would think if you st stood at a palace's roof that you can't see the houses close to you. It's not the fact. If David stood outside his house, you could literally see all the houses next to you right there. And there is no way that Bathsheba was taking a bath thinking no one was watching. There is no way that Bathsheba was taking a bath and not seeing the king. I don't think Bathsheba was taking a bath thinking she's all alone. I think Bathsheba saw the king and went like, hmm. And the problem with King David, although he has God's heart, has the Spirit of God upon him, he is still soil. And David is just as much soil as you and I are soil. And David in his, in his calling, just for a season and for a moment, not being where he ought to be, sees a woman taking a bath. And in his boredom, I mean, he is not concerned. He is so set 
and settled in the fact that Joab's got the war. His man is fighting a war. Now, now David is the man that when his, 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 his 70 mighty men, one day David sat and said to them, I am so thirsty for the water. I think the water of Jerusalem. And David takes the water and pours out the water. And he says, if my men went through all this trouble to get me this water, who do I think I am to drink this water and they don't get to take a sip of it? And I'll sacrifice the sacrifice of my men. And the same guy now is so at a level that he forgot what he did there with water, considering his men going through the trouble to get him. He forgets for a moment. The problem is that this is really bad of David to do. And he forgets that Joab is in a war right now. And his, his concern is not with Joab. How is Joab doing? His concern is how my flesh is doing. I wonder what he was concerned about. Is my robe sitting right? Is my palace built to the level it should be built? Is my house functioning like it ought to function? And he sees a wife and he sees something that he can't have. His heart and his mind is not with Joab. His mind and his heart is with his own needs. For this moment, he's watching this girl take a bath and he calls to her. And what can she do? And see, then it happened one evening that uh, uh, taking a bath, the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman and someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? And David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and lay with her, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said to him, I am with child. I'm thinking David, who is the king, has now stepped into something that he knows he, he should not do. David is, at some point in the Bible, they call him the star of Israel. And they tell him, you, at one point he gets too old and they say to him, you can't go to war with us. Just, just now some rookie takes an arrow and shoots it at random and it strikes you and you die and the light of Israel goes out. They didn't call him the star of Israel. I think they called him the light of Israel. Something to that effect. David's life meant so much. And in the hidden thoughts of his own heart, this man who killed a giant, whose brothers killed the other five giants, that I think it was four or five giants left, his brothers killed them. And his 70 men, the exploits of David, they sang songs of him. God says, through you, Jesus will come. The, the Savior will be born. This King David, for just a moment, stepped out of the call of God and his eyes drifted, beheld a woman and in his, his elevated state and confusion, he sleeps with her. And it's all fine because it's hidden. Nobody knows it. They can go on about their lives. I mean, her husband is fighting in a war. Her husband, Uriah, is in a war. He doesn't even, he's privy to none of this. And everything is fine. And David, she goes home and she's purifying and she goes home. And David goes about it. He's walking the palace and everything is fine. Until she sends these two words. I'm pregnant. I'm with child. I'm with child. I'm with child. And I wonder how these words ring in David's heart. The heart that belongs to God. The heart that has God's attention. And David hears these words and I wonder how his 
chills goes through his spine as David takes a misstep. Is this okay? We think of David and we go, that's, that's terrible, David. I'm thinking of the great men that run churches around the world. How quickly Christians throw pastors under the bus. Pastors, because pastors are to be flawless. Pastors aren't to make any mistakes. I wonder how many Christians you've disqualified from being a Christian based on your own perceptions of right and wrong. How many people do you know has made a remark about Christian churches? I came here to move the needle, not to preach well. To preach well in the eyes of God and not to preach well at the years, for the soothing ears that, that need soothing messages. How many times have we criticized churches based on what have we criticized them? Churches and leaders and, and called them failures and disqualified them. How many people in this room has gone through, this is the morning service, most, most people are not that young anymore. How many has gone through a divorce and that divorce has become an identifier of your life. It's become a tag that people use to determine your quality of Christianity. Are you the same quality of a Christian having gone through a divorce? Can you be considered before God the same quality of believer? I mean, you have had a divorce. Do we silently reject someone based on our perceived idea of the quality or the level of their sins? Here we have David, who is not only a member of parliament. He is not just merely an advisor to the king. He is not just merely a worship leader. He is the king of Israel from whom the Savior will come. His throne will last into eternity. He is the David. Out of all the men in the Bible, there is no other one like David. And yet this David is still soiled. This David still makes a mistake. This David still commits a sin. And when he hears these two words, I'm pregnant. I wonder what flashes through his mind. And you would expect that David would say, my God, I'm in trouble. And call out to God. David is the guy that wrote Psalms. All of the Psalms. Not all of the Psalms, but, but most of the Psalms written by, was written by King David. And the, and the Bible teaches, I, spoke, I told you last week, there are two verses. I think Colossians 1, and, and I, I don't know where the other one is. But it says we should teach one another through Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Psalms is something that we could teach one another with. And David is the guy that through his wisdom wrote most of the Psalms, which is called wisdom poetry, so that we can be educated. And, 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 and he uses one word in some of these Psalms that means that you, this Psalm should be read under reflection. You shouldn't just merely blindly read it. You should read it and carefully reflect on the Psalm. And David is the guy that wrote these Psalms. And how does he write? Does he write it as an angel of God who has never made a mistake? Or does he write it from the perspective of this man that is the height of success and still knows that a girl is married, but she is beautiful. And because I'm king, don't I deserve it? 
I mean, I can have multiple wives. Why can't I have that? People go, why can't I make choices as to how I feel about Christianity? Why can't churches do it my way? Why can't I do finances my way? And not even King David was given everything his way. And even Uriah, his wife, God said to him, not her. David wrestles within himself. But I'm king. Should I not have it? I don't know how the wrestle went. Maybe, maybe the urge or the desire was so strong that he knows. Stop it, David. Stop it. And he doesn't want to see, but he goes, stop it. And then wants to look at her again. I wonder if we only think it's David that did this. If it's only a David that made this mistake. How quickly Christians disqualify other Christians based on our perception of their sins. While most sins are hidden and while most of your sins are still hidden. The problem is David is the king of Israel and God leaves him. And do you think that, that at conception, God is not aware of this child in the womb of this woman. This woman is with child and these words are sent back. And that's the, it's, if she was not pregnant, could David have gotten away with it? I wonder if it's the first thing that David ever did. That was a misstep or maybe the 10th one. This was just the one he didn't get away with. I wonder how many times we get away with it and months later we think God forgot. Until this one moment where she comes back with these words, I'm pregnant and sin bears fruit. And now you know a tree by its fruit. And all of a sudden the devil begins to use these words to say, but if you're that, why is this fruit there? And you look at your own life and I, I said to you in the, in the offering section of this service that most of us suffer the ability to pray because our own conscience convicts us. I wonder how much of our sins is a thing that runs through our, our mind when we begin to pray and we are disqualified from prayer, not by God, but by our own convictions. And we wonder, should we pray if this is the fruit and the devil begins to play with your identity. And you know that a tree is identified by its fruit is if this fruit is there, are you then really a Christian? And if I'm not really convinced that I'm a Christian, how can I pray with boldness? Come before God's throne with boldness, it says. But how can you if the fruit says you can't? On the one hand, on Sundays, I lift up my hands. How many times have I heard this story? Ha, by Christen. Sunday, sing a likis. And a manda, hell, I say, frown. Have you heard these words? But that's that man. It's never you. It's never you. But this time around, it's David and the words came back. I'm with child. And the problem with this is that this, although hidden in the beginning, slowly and over time begins to make its presence known. Nine months for the fruit to show. And David has to deal with this thing that he did and he's walking. And I wonder if he's pacing the same balcony, looking from the balcony to that single roof where he saw her bathe, wondering, why did I do it? Why did I do it? This is the problem with words. When it's out, you can't grab it back. 
It's the problem with sin when you've done it, it's too late. It's the problem with a car accident. We've had accidents, people have had accidents. Once it's done, you just, you wish you could wake up from the dream. <clears throat> you can't have it back. And he's pacing the palace floor and he's thinking, looking at the roof and she's pregnant. How can I deal with this? What can I do? Joab's at war and now all of a sudden the thing that didn't bother him, he's thinking about that and he's got this and the boring season became complicated, not because God is involved, because the devil's involved and he wants to complicate the things that God gives you seasons to rest in. And now your life at the pinnacle of your success begins to become complicated. Most of us are not even there yet. But remember, the devil works in every season. And you're maybe a young person. You go like, I can't relate because I'm not even getting a girlfriend. I, I can't cheat. I need to, there are steps to these things, pastor. I need to get a date first. You praat nou goed oor a man wat getrouwd is, man. David's in trouble. She comes to him and says, I'm with child. And David sent messengers. Is this not? Uh, I'm with child. Then David sent to Joab saying, send me Uriah immediately. Now Joab is important again. Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah to David. And when Uriah had come to him, David asked jo Joab how Joab was doing and how the people were doing and how the war prospered. And David said to you, so jo David sets Uriah down for dinner. I, I am going to paint this picture so that you can see it. Uh, we're going to leave this place maybe tonight. And if not tonight, then next week we're going to work through this portion of text. I'm not going to rush it. Normally I try and squeeze in everything. If I do that, I'm going to miss so much. David, I'm going to remind you again, is God's guy. How many of you like David? And the David of the Bible? <laughs> you have to be fast in this church. I can't help them. My name's David. We like David. We love. How many of you would trust David? Not now. Now that I told you his secrets. But before that, if I were to go to war, you know who I want with me? King David. We leave the house, I tell him, have you got your sling buddy? And your harp? Like that guy that always has his guitar when you go to a braai. Have, have you noticed? If it's not a first team rugby player, it's a guy with a guitar. Oh, you're like my box guitar. Who come? And Uriah comes back and he, he, King David, Uriah has done nothing. Uriah is out there being a good guy. Uriah is having a sword fight, acting a ninja on this battlefield. He's just fighting, stabs a guy, dies, stabs the next one. He's doing his thing for his country. David's at home busy sleeping with his wife, King David. So David sends to Uriah, Uriah goes like, the, the king wants to see me. What could this be? Is this a promotion? What am I getting? A promotion? And King David comes there. Uh, uh, Uriah comes to the palace thinking, what could this be? How many of you have ever had the hope for good news and you then got bad news? 
especially on the dating scene. I want to see you. Oh, Heveldog propose. And ends with the words, it's me, it's not you. This wasn't a proposal. I just got dumped. And so they're sitting down and they're having a meal and Uriah is sitting there and going like, yes, King David and David. Got and, and David knows that we got to hurry up. They don't have trains in Israel. So Uriah, I wonder how long it took him to get by donkey from the war zone to the palace. And David's going, your vrouw is swanger and you can't see. Sit down, eat fast, two minute noodles. How's the war? How's Joab doing? So asking all these things because he's comp compiling a strategy in his mind to get rid of the evidence. And he's like, are we done now? Go home. Because he wants Uriah to sleep with Bathsheba so that Uriah and Bathsheba can think, or Uriah at least, Bathsheba's in on the deal. She's at home putting flowers on the bed, Candles are lit. She wants her husband to go home because she knows I'm carrying the king's child. One part of her soil, I've got the king's child in me. Another one, I shouldn't have done this. Uriah's my husband. And I wonder the things that she's going through. And she's still scheming to get out of it. And none of this, the guy who wrote Psalms, nowhere do we see him praying, God, I'm in trouble. I'm telling you this because at any measure, very, very many of us fall very short of the standard that David set. David's the guy. How many Psalms have you written? How many of them were published? David's the guy. And David is, the, is at a stage in his life that he's made so much, much of a mess of what God has given him that he can't even pray to God to ask him. He's trying to figure out if God can just be blind for a week. I'm going to figure this out. And he sits down and he begins to ask Uriah questions. And the same guy who we think is King David is saying to Uriah, how's the war? Before you disqualify the next Christian, I wonder how many of you would have disqualified David? Let me, I'm, I'm going to bring this message home. That's what they can't do. If you were to take whoever you are upset with, and have disqualified. How many of you taking the same measure would have had to disqualify David too? Or we, do we disqualify who we think is cool and not cool? Because at any measure, the measure used to disqualify pastors, people wrote us, write me letters saying, we shouldn't sing Hillsong's songs. Brian Houston disqualified. Based on what? He committed the sin. Okay, you should take out all of David's writings. Is the Psalms that David wrote before he slept with Bathsheba still valid? Or did his sin with Bathsheba disqualify everything before that? Does every sin that you commit disqualify the lessons you teach your children? I'm bringing this message. So David is sitting there and not considering God, talking to Uriah while he's thinking in his mind, I need you to go home and sleep with your wife. If my plan works out, no one will know. 
oh, yes, Uriah, Uriah that, that's true. Yes, yes, that's a good war. I'm so proud of you. I need you to go home and sleep with your wife. If you can sleep with your wife, no one will know that it was me. Yes, Uriah, that's, and he's pretending because of his sin to be what he is not. How much of your sin has made you lift up your hands when in your heart you say, I don't feel it? So convicted by what you're busy living out that you're so far from what you think and know God wants for you, but you have to pretend it to not lose what you think you still have left. And David's intention is to keep the, cap, the palace and to keep the kingship, but he's forgotten God has given it to him. And he's talking to Uriah, and Uriah goes, and Uriah, the Bible, you should read it. I'm going to finish this message here. I'm going to land. I'm going to stretch this out. We'll get to a place. The title of this message is still forgiven. And David said to Uriah, go down to your house, wash your feet. So Uriah departed from the king's house, and the, and the gift of food from the king followed him. But Uriah slept at the door of the king's house with all the servants of his lord, and did not go down to his house. Uriah is manifesting in front of David, what David ought to be. Uriah, an upstanding man, is so concerned with the guys at war that he doesn't go to his house, to his wife, to what he belongs to him, that he has a right to. He sleeps in front of the king's palace, in front of the king's door, because his other men is at war. And he says, I will not go to my wife while my brothers are still fighting. This is a reflection of David, what he used to be. And what he surrendered for a moment of pleasure. And David is manifesting. Uriah is manifesting right in front of David's eyes. Watch this. Verse 11. No, it's not verse 11. Where are we? Uriah did not go down to his house. David said, Uriah, did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? And Uriah said, David, the ark of Israel, the presence of God. And Judah are dwelling in tents. And my Lord Joab and the servants of my Lord are encamped in the open fields. Shall I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. I wonder if the words, I'm pregnant, that hit him so hard. And this man whose righteousness is manifesting, I shall not do this thing. A man that is so far below David in rank and power and authority and calling and recognition and being written up in the history of Christianity, so far below him is manifesting a righteousness that the king cannot get to. And on one hand, I am pregnant. is an indictment against this righteousness which he just lost. This thing I shall not do. I wonder why God permits this. I think God is involved in it. Because what you think you will not do and disqualify other people for you are mostly guilty of yourself. Not one person qualifies for the righteousness of God by himself. And even King David, who is the pinnacle, the example to us all, falls short. And God uses a mere soldier to point out how he should behave. A second time, this King David says to him, he says, the rise of David, the ark is still to lie with my wife, Shulam. Then David said to Uriah, wait here today and also tomorrow. And I will let you part. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem till the next day. Now when David had called him, he ate and he drank before him. And he made him drunk. 
And at evening, he went out to lie in his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. So David says, let me have one more stab at this. And David gives him alcohol. He tries to make him drunk, thinking that if this man is drunk, he'll violate his righteousness. I was sober and did this. Maybe if I can get him intoxicated, he'll violate what he knows to be right. And the soldier is a live indictment in front of David of what it ought to be. And even in his drunkenness, he doesn't violate a core belief that this is not right. And as this man doesn't do this, David goes like, the baby in a womb is still growing. This womb, this baby is still growing. This baby is still growing. There's so much in this text. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Job and said it by hand to Uriah. And he wrote in the letter saying, Sit Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. So it was while Joab besieged the city that he assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab and some of the people of the servants of David fell in Uriah. The Hittite died also. He writes a letter to Joab. In the morning it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah. This is David. This is David, our example. This is a man after God's heart. And David himself takes a pen, a big pen. And he writes, Joab, this Uriah fellow, he's a valiant guy, put him in the front lines. Put him there where the men die. Seals the letter with the king's stamp. Everything that his life means is encapsulated in the stamp of the king. He seals the letter. I wonder how he walks to Uriah. God's boy. Man after God's heart. And he says to Uriah, go back to war. And he puts the letter in Uriah's hand. And Uriah, none the wiser, takes a letter with his death sentence on it. And Uriah walks back to the battlefield with a death sentence in his own hand. He doesn't open the letter. It's a man of character. He doesn't read what the king wrote about him. And he hands Joab the letter. And David is sitting in the palace and he knows, maybe this time I've won this victory. Maybe this time the fruit is canceled. Maybe no one will know now. And Uriah is killed. And David goes like, I've succeeded. Nowhere in this you see him. When they, when they took his wives and they took his children, he inquired of the Lord, should we pursue them? God said, pursue them and you shall surely overtake them and recover all. This is the man that never went to war without asking God. And for the first time, he is plotting the man who would fight a lion and a bear for the sake of the sheep. A man who would pour out water being thirsty for it because his men was not there. A man who would stand for righteousness in everything that he would do. Who, a man who in a cave would not kill Saul, who's trying to kill him. Has fallen so far off the cliff. And all the while he's playing this scene out. The Holy Spirit. God is watching. No one knows. When he tells Uriah to sleep with his wife. What he is thinking. But God does. No one knows what he wrote in that letter, but God does. No one knows the last moments of Uriah at the battlefield, 
at the hand of King David, God's man. As he hands the letter to Joab, God sees him. The Bible says you can offend the Holy Spirit and grieve the Holy Spirit. I wonder how the Holy Spirit felt about David at that moment. But David was the king. And yet in all of this, the grace of God is still mind-blowing. He still gives Joab the victory. And Uriah still dies. And Uriah is dead and they send him word. And David plays out this entire scene. Watch. Then Joab sent and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the messenger saying, when you have finished telling the matters, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, it happened that the king's wrath rises and he says to you, why did you approach so near to the city when you fought? Did you not know that they would shoot from the wall? Who struck Abimelech, the son of Jerubusheth? Jerubusheth? Was it not a woman who cast a piece of millstone on him from the wall so he, that he died in Tebez? Why did you go near the wall? Then you shall say, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. So Joab himself sent men so close to the front lines that they got slaughtered. And so he sends word back to King David. Watch the story. He sends word back to King David. This is what happened. The men died. And when the king is upset that so many men died, just whisper, Uriah's dead also. Did you see that in the text? Joab says to him, go tell the king that all these men are dead. This is how the war is going. They're still winning, but I'm, I send them too close. And when the king says to you, why did you go so close? Are you stupid? Just whisper in there, Uriah's dead also. So the devil is using your sin against your authority. Should we read that again? Can we read that again? Watch. Then Job said and told David all the things concerning the war and charged the message saying, when you have finished telling the matters of the war to the king, it happened that the king's wrath rises. So when the king gets upset, because things are not going like it ought to, why did you approach so near the city? Did you not know? Was it not a woman? Then you shall say your servant Uriah is dead also. Because he knows that when you remind him of his sin, you pacify his authority. You know the missteps you took? God's not the problem. It's the devil that's using it against your authority. Now when the devil comes into your house, you can't pray. Because when you begin to pray, he reminds you of your Uriah. But as soon as you enter your prayer room, go like, God, I need your help. The devil whispers, Uriah also. Don't you think you made a mistake? And you go like, yes, you're right. And you walk out from the only answer that you could ever get from God is grace. And as the king could have said to him, do it this way, do it this way. And spare lives as the king should do. Because he is the man that should be on the forefront. He now has to shut up. Because he knows, Joab knows that, the, that I sent Uriah to him and Uriah is dead. That's what I wanted. But I didn't want all these men to die. But now I can't say anything because Uriah is dead. And David who started out as the God's guy. 
He's now walking with a story in his heart. I slept with a woman I shouldn't have. I had her man go back to her house to pretend that the baby is his. It didn't work. So I had this man killed. And at the killing of this man, I had many other men killed. And I've also lost my authority with my commander of the army. Just because one day, I looked at this woman. I don't think that's how he looked. I think I was standing there. Mm, 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 mm. Got a business card, Snap, Snapchat? What's your handle? Almost done. So the messengers went and came and told David all that Joab had sent by him. The messengers said to David, surely the men prevailed against us and came out to us in the field. Then we drove them back as far as the entrance of the gate. The archers shot from the wall and your servant and some of the king's servants were dead. And your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead also. Then David said to the messengers, thus you shall say to Joab, do not let this thing displease you. For the sword devours one as well as the other. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it. So encourage him. The sword devours one as well as the other. I'll close with the scripture. The Bible says in Hebrews 4 verse 12, The word of God is a living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even the division of the soul and the spirit and joins the marrow as a discerner of the thoughts of the intents of the hearts of men. Discerner of the thoughts and intents of the hearts. There is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him who we must give account. He says to him, The sword devours the one and the other. Don't let this Hittite thing, Uriah, bother you. The sword kills the one and the other. And he thinks he's covered. He forgets that the word of God is a two-edged sword. God gives you authority, but it cuts both ways. Father, I pray for this church and this audience. That from this morning's message, we should learn that we are all come from soil. None of us are divine by nature. We are sinners by nature, all and all alike. There is not but one that escapes the wrath and the grasp and the clasp of sin. We are all in its web. None of us are better than the other. None of us is without, with hope outside of Christ. It is only in Christ and through Christ that we are made righteous, not by ourselves, not by our works. And the best of us fall. And the best of us fail. Your word says we all fall short of the glory of God. This is the grace that in spite of our soiledness, we can still say, Abba, Father, and you hear us. Help us learn from the story of David that there is forgiveness for sin. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Give God a proper praise in the house.